Hey there, everybody. You're listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And we hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving if you celebrate such things in the time that we did, which at time of recording is today. <laughs> so if we if we seem slightly lackadaisical and a little off, it's because we're slipping into food coma. Uh-huh, yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> Yes, yes, it was. But this time around, um, this was uh, one that you had. Mm-hmm. This is Almost American Girl uh, by Robin Ha. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm kind of curious as to how this one got on your radar. Um, I think I was looking through book lists and I saw it and I was like, let's try this. And I was teaching a class. Um, on recentering representation for my middle schoolers, where we were looking at um, authors um, that are LGBTQ plus, or that were BIPOC, or that were um, authors with disabilities, or religious minorities, and I have a lot of students that really like to read graphic novels and sometimes refuse to read anything else. (laughs) And so I was looking to expand our graphic novel collection. And so I came across this and I was like, okay, I'll order it and try it out. And hence I came to it. Okay. Do you want to just, in case people aren't used to the, uh, to the term, do you want to explain BIPOC real quick? Yes. That stands for black indigenous people of color. So yeah, it's, it's, it's meant to be a catch all for, not white in a lot of ways. So, yes, yeah. So, um, this is an illustrated memoir, which we haven't had something like that in a while. Um, we've done these, like, arguably El Defo is more yeah. or less an illustrated memoir. And we've had things that were more or less biographies when we did, say, To Dance. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't, we haven't had something that is somebody's real life story in a little while. Nope. So, uh, this follows a, um, well, I say young girl. She was 14 and she'd been growing up in Seoul, South Korea. And she was the daughter of a single mother, which was very unusual. Oh, and a uh, time frame. It starts in 1995, which would actually put her at about our age, about a year yeah. older. Mm-hmm. Um, So she was already sort of in an unusual family unit. And then her mother took her for what she had been told was a vacation (laughs) to Alabama. And what it actually turned out was her mother had met a man who was living in Alabama. And they moved there to live there Mm -hmm. permanently. And... um, Chuna is the girl's name, although she ends up uh, taking on the American name of Robin. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, uh, <laughs> that doesn't go over great. <laughs> yeah, I would think moving from a bustling city in South Korea where you had lots of friends to, I wouldn't say rural Alabama, but it's not a big city in Alabama either, is where, you know, you are one of the few non-white students in your school was pretty big cultural shock. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, 
Not something she'd she'd signed up for. Not even remotely. No. And so what it really kind of is, is it's a lot of the big shakeups of her life for about a year or so span of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as she sort of eventually comes to see America as a home. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of, I don't want to say it's a lot of drama. Cause usually when I say that, I, cause like I said that about say roller girl, where it was like, like, Oh God, teenage girls and drama. Like it's a drama story, but I feel like that word feels wrong here because like, no, it's like, story. like that's a legitimate reason, like to be upset. Yeah. I feel like saying, oh, drama. Like, no, not not like that. No, it, it was not drama she herself caused for the most part. It was more... I mean, she did because she was angry, but she had a very... She had, I'd say, some pretty substantive reasons to be. Yeah. So, um, I guess that we'll talk specifics as we go along, but it, it there aren't... Other than, like, the move to... America and eventually her mother splitting with the man who she moved there to be with. There aren't a lot of like major plot points along the way. It's just a lot of slice of a difficult time in someone's life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily going over for worth going over point for point. Um, your general thoughts. I enjoyed it. Um, I think the bullying parts were hard to read. So parts of it were hard to read. I enjoyed it, though. I really appreciated um, sort of the evolving relationship with her mother um, and how much of this story really focused on her mother and her, her relationship with that, which I don't think we've really had in a story before. No, not really. Um, And, I mean, I think... You know, I think she came to appreciate her mother and the fact that she was, you know, a single immigrant mother that was trying to deal with all of this and finding herself in an unhappy marriage and with a fit, like, in-laws she really didn't care for. Um, And it took her a while to get there, but, like, I think, I think that relationship and... The fallouts and her frustration and her eventual appreciation for her mother um, really came across well. So I appreciated that about it. Um, I liked that she found um, solace in in drawing and comics and things like that. I appreciated the um, cultural callbacks in pop culture and like... (laughs) Like you mentioned, like, I didn't realize what year it was until they mentioned the song from the Batman movie, Kissed by a Rose. Yeah, like, the, she's by watching a, she's watching music videos. Like, oh, it's from the new Batman movie. I'm like, that's a drawing of Seal on that TV. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I, I appreciated little things like that. Um, yeah, her, the family they married into was just kind of awful like it is good but like i think i when you say it's difficult to read at times like i it was very hard for me to get through the front end of this i was wondering about that because i could tell you were just like oh because you were like i'll get this done in a day and all of a sudden you were like i need to space this out like because here's the thing like you say she takes 
solace in drawing and in comics. And she does, but the context I need to put on that is she doesn't even have that until about halfway through the damn book. Mm-hmm. And the first half is just just bad experience after bad experience mm-hmm. after trauma after humiliation, and it just keeps happening. Yeah. Now, the reason I say it's difficult to read and not it's bad is because it doesn't it doesn't feel exaggerated for the points for the purposes of drama, mm-hmm. which I think is very easy to do. And like some of the kids who are bullies. Mm-hmm. At the school that she goes to, I mean, part of it is, yeah, it's the 90s. But the other part is it, they they felt real enough mm-hmm. that I didn't, fe- I didn't feel like this was being exaggerated. <laughs> they didn't feel like the bullies from Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I actually was going to make that comparison. We started wa- we've started watching Cobra Kai on Netflix, and I enjoy it. But one of the things that was weird, especially, like, in the first handful of episodes, was, like, did they get a time machine and bring a bunch of teenage bullies from the friggin' 80s up into 2019, (laughs) and that's where these bullies at the high school came from? Because, no. No. So, like, it's not, it's definitely not that. It did feel like the small-town racism of the 1990s that was going on. Yeah. It felt, it felt fairly legitimate, but I think it was just hard for me because she really... She was really, truly adrift for at least half the book. And she'd even have little glimpses where, oh, maybe this will be something I can hold on to. And then yeah, it doesn't like work out or it gets taken away. With that one girl. Yeah. And it doesn't work out. And she's like, oh, maybe I can bond with my cousin. And her cousin is awful to her. and like, Or she starts playing the piano again. Her but her mother is so hard on her about that that, that doesn't, that's not a source of comfort. I just Watching her try all these things... To try and get some semblance of normal and, um, you know, just enjoying her life and just then failing over and over and over again was really, really hard for me to read. Yeah, it is tough. Can I also say the book made me hungry when it talked about, like, all the street food? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not now because I'm very, very full, but as I was reading it, I was like, Oh, man, that does sound good. And I didn't even know what all of it was, but I was like, I want to look up all this food and yum. Because she did have a pretty idealized life, but you do realize it wasn't great for her mom there. Well, that's part of what's really nice about, there's an epilogue chapter at the end about her going on a, like a month trip to Korea with some of her friends um, I think it's like her sophomore year of college or something yeah, like that. And in 2002 and, you know, going back there and realizing that even if she'd stay there, she probably wouldn't have felt at home there. As with more grown up eyes, she's seen the conformity of the culture going on and sort of like getting a better sense of the kind of pressures that were on her mother that would have made her mother decide to leave. Mm-hmm. And it's, I honestly, I kind of feel like the epilogue makes the book <laughs> and a lot, not that it wasn't good prior to that, but I'm like, it, it's the point at which she comes to understand her mother's context and appreciate the decisions that were made Mm-hmm. In a way that she couldn't as a younger person. 
And I've kind of, and, and I don't think it's letting her mother off the hook. I think, no. I think stuff that goes on earlier makes it very clear that her mother is kind of screwing up uh, in some very significant ways. I think her mother realizes it too by the time she moves them to Virginia that she's like, this is not a good situation I've got myself or my daughter into. Like these. Well, the, the thing that her, that Robin um, throws at her is, you know, when her mother says, I, so sorry that, you know, this has been like this. And Robin throws that out and says, no, you got us in this situation. These were your choices that put us here. Mm-hmm. And the narration actually says, that when her mother says that she's sorry, the narration says that was the first time she ever apologized to me. So obviously the mother's going through some stuff too. So when I say the epilogue makes it, I don't mean like it, oh, and now I totally understand the mother. But no, it it wasn't about me understanding the mother. It was about watching her come to better understand her mother. Yeah. I think the flashback too that kind of covered her mother's relationship with her father and um, a man who kind of was like a father figure to her for a while and just some of the things she went to, that really helped me understand her mother too. Yeah. Um, which I think came a little more than halfway through or so. I think it was after they had a big fight. So. Yes, it was. Um, I will also say the acknowledgments were good for that too um, because at first her mom was like worried about her writing this memoir, but then um, she did eventually read it and really liked it. Um but she, when her mother read it, she told her, great job. Didn't say much else, but she said she knew her mother was proud of it. So. <laughs> and I suppose we can talk about the art. It's it's hard to describe. It It is fairly... Um, I can't think of the word I want to say. Like, vague is the word that's coming to my mind, but that's not it. It's not especially stylized. It's like I wouldn't call it cartoonish or like an anime style or anything like that, but it's it's not heavy on details. It it like faces are usually just you know eyes, eyebrows, nose, mouth. There isn't a lot of additional details, and there isn't even a lot of detail in those things. It's mm-hmm. it's fairly simple, um, but it it works. I'm like, it's not amazing. I wouldn't hold it up as, um, you know. Uh, I liked it, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything exceptional. I would agree. Yeah. It, it works for the story. It doesn't detract and it flows well. And the, and like the page construction and the panel layouts and everything, it works quite well. Um, but the art is, is, it, it's decent. I would say for most of the books we've read, um, that are meant for younger audiences, I feel like it's usually not about the art. It's usually they're trying to sell the story or the experience or things like that. I feel like they're heavier on story. I get, I would say it's more common among the things that, that are intended for younger readers for the art to not be as detailed. I wouldn't yeah. say that all of the stuff... Well, not all the stuff. ...has been but... that way, but like it, it definitely happens more mm-hmm. there. Um, I'm not sure how much else I have to say. Like... I, it was good. I think it's well done. And I think it's it's relatable and it's it's well put together. But yeah, that that front half was that was tough for mm. me to to get through. It was. And I did like that, you know, she had 
these comics that she really liked and there was that throughout even though she didn't like you say go to classes until later it did kind of remind me that like when I was looking at her favorite things they were all like long blonde hair and I was like oh that is even for like a Korean girl that's what's idealized that's kind of like <laughs> kind of made me a little sad you know the Sailor Moon She-Ra type says the blonde woman oh uh, I, it doesn't mean I like that that's what's idolized. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just teasing you a little. Uh, yes. Um, but yeah, I think it was a good family story and a good immigrant, immigrant story, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about all we've got to say on this one. Um, so we'll take a quick promotional break, and then we'll be back with listener feedback from the previous episode. Drama, lust, snark, comedy, heartbreak, creativity, poetry, illicit affairs, rage, revenge, testosterone poisoning, gunshots, sculpture, feminine hygiene products, naked car crashes. You know what we haven't had in a long time? And liver. Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise, the audio adaptation, coming to your ear holes in late 2020 on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Liver is my life. Hey there, everybody. So we've got our listener feedback from the previous episode where we talked about Apocalyptic Girl, an aria for the end time. So our first comment is from Liz Ann Oswalt. Impressive podcast. Most impressive. Hi, Liz and Nathaniel. This seems like a cool comic. Though, yeah, I agree with Liz. Not a fan of the art style. Don't think I could have gotten through the art. Cute cat. Yeah, sorry to hear the dog just disappeared. And yes, I apologize for still ranting about the woman in black and the fact that the dog just disappeared partway through that movie. I will eventually get over it. No, you won't. I probably won't. <laughs> this, this is going to be a running thing that you're going to bring up for as long as our relationship lasts. <laughs> It'll be 20 years later. J just every now and then. Well, at least they didn't forget about the, the dog. dog. <laughs> uh, Jim Butcher kind of did that in the Dresden Files. He remembers Harry's daughter, Maggie, but for, he forgets his other daughter, Bonnie. <laughs> wow, that is bad. When that, you forget that, That's a daughter. little bit worse than forgetting about a dog. Uh, he But forgets his other daughter, Bonnie, which would be hard to do seeing she's a spirit in a wooden skull that was born out of Harry Dresden's head. Long story. I, I imagine probably at least a novel behind that one. Yeah. I don't I do read not, the Dresden Files, not, but I'm yeah. familiar with them. I know. A we have a lot of friends that are fans of them. Um, I don't know much about them, but they do sound intriguing. He mated with a spirit-type fae woman, though Maggie was born from his romance with a vampire woman. So anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sounds, sounds like intriguing sci-fi yeah. stuff. Sometimes even good writers forget important characters. And he's a bit of a comic fan with many refs. Anyway, for some reason I see the character in this book as Siobhan Fahey. That may cause 
that may be because I'm listening, I'm listening to Shakespeare's sister song. Yeah, that's a voice I hear in my head when I look at this comment. And her Shakespeare's sister run, not her Bananarama run. And the, ah, the ending was fine. And the planets take over as man is gone. Not my thing. When I see a paradise type jungle thing, I think of the talking head song, Beautiful Highway. If this is paradise... I think I want a lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm old. Still cool that she didn't destroy the planet. Also, how does she have running water in the apocalypse? A stream m- makes sense, but how how is she in a house with w- working water pipes and a hot water heater? It's a good question. Yeah. Anyway, can't wait for the next podcast. Glad my last... Renounce matched up with the story with the cat fids matched up with talking about living Kara Sue's page on YouTube and I still have my page that li- that's Liz Ann Oswald on YouTube. Anyway, can't wait to hear y'all's next podcast. Thank you, Liz. Thank you very much. Uh, next up, we have Brian Linton. I enjoyed your coverage of Apocalyptic Girl. I never read this title, but I'm pretty sure I flipped through it before at my local bookstore or library because the artwork in the image gallery looks very familiar. Speaking of the artwork, I generally like the stylized look of it, though I agree with you that some of the facial expressions look a little strange. Also, I'll say that Earth 27 gets my vote for prettiest post-apocalyptic world. I can only hope that our world (laughs) looks half as good as this one after the pandemic. As a cat person, the inclusion of jelly beans is a big selling point of the book for me. I'm guessing it was the image of Jelly Beans with Aria on the cover that was responsible for me flipping through it. I'm also guessing that my daughter, also a lover of cats, would love the interaction between the two. It's really only the graphic violence that keeps me from suggesting this book to her. Yeah, you give it a little while on that. Mm-hmm. Now, on a complete tangent, I was listening to the latest episode of Hidden <laughs> Brain on my local NPR station this weekend. At one point in the episode, they played a couple of clips of a very familiar voice talking about Doctor Who. So unless my ears deceive me, I would like to say congratulations to Nathaniel for breaking into the national <laughs> public radio spotlight. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, I forgot that, that he had commented on this. Curant. Okay. <laughs> and well-deserved. I'll try and keep this to a minimum. So here's the thing. I found out about this from a couple of people who brought it to my attention that they heard my voice on this and the reason i didn't find out about it till they told me is because i was not contacted in any way shape or form now like i want to be really clear about this nothing that hidden brain or npr did with my clip is in any way a copyright violation what they did was at what it was transformative it was fair use it there is absolutely no no standing for me to go you don't have the right to do it no they did what they did fits fair use. And as someone who works on YouTube and uses clips, both audio and visual, and defends it as fair use, like, I've got no business complaining on that front. However, I find it very frustrating that there was no credit given for where that clip came from, neither in the podcast itself, not in the end of the acknowledgments, and nowhere on any post related to the podcast. They simply used my used 
the audio from one of my vi from one of my videos with no accreditation absolutely anywhere. And again, to be clear, they're not required to give it. But it just really rubs me the wrong way when an organization that large basically feels they can scour smaller creators and pull their stuff like it's a free audio clip buffet and use it however they want without accreditation. Because it gives people the impression, oh, wow, like you're big on that. No, they stole my voice. And I, and I did write to them. Got absolutely no response back. And I'm not shocked either. I'm sure it was never moved up the chain and was probably an email that was brushed off by an intern. But there's... There is a... There is a disrespect, I feel, when... Things that big with a national stage make use of smaller creators' work with no credit or reference or anything at all. So while I appreciate that people were pleasantly surprised to hear my voice, I was actually really kind of ticked off and I'm still a little bitter. <laughs> so... Yes, I'm going to just read the next one since you, cool. you, you went to. I, I, got, I got to rant. You can take the last comment. Um, so, yes. Well, I mean, Brian Linton followed that up by saying he found the episode on Spotify um, and gives the link and that the clips can be found around the 1930 mark. In yep. case you do want to listen to that. But I would agree. And as a librarian, um, I wasn't impressed that they did that to you either. I have not actually listened to the episode. Um, but... Yeah, come on. Like I would I would tell my students something like that. No, they should have given accreditation and everything like I tell my students to do when they, you know, quote someone else's work. So Yeah. Crazy I thought. Not not very impressive. Um, but you know, I, we appreciate that you were excited, Brian. Yeah, and like, that I, you meant well. I, I hope. I hope no. Even if NPR didn't. I hope really. no one who like felt excited hearing my voice like feels bad now that like no like and again like they technically did not do anything wrong. That that just I felt disrespected. Yes, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, Tim Price says another new to me graphic novel. It sounds interesting, and of course I'm up for cat sidekicks. Yeah, who isn't? Cats are fun. But the art does, doesn't sell me. Still, a Cosmixology sale could entice me to give it a try. And now I'm thinking about the cat in Mike, my hacks, Cleopatra in space. Eee! I We still need to get to that one at some point. That it's, it's on the docket. Yeah. Happy after Thanksgiving, if I've guessed when the next episode will air, my punchers. And you are quite right. It was literally, we recorded this right after our big Thanksgiving meal, and we'll hopefully be pushing it out tomorrow. Yep, I, got, I, I have to edit in the morning. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, who wrote in. Um, we don't know what we're going to do next month. Uh, it'll probably be something I've already read because I kind of <laughs> dragged my feet on getting through this one. But um, I understand. I'm going to give you um, some uh, some some leeway because I know you uh, you were struggling with the beginning of it. So yeah, but at the same time, like I finished reading this this morning. <laughs> it, so it wasn't even this morning. It was. This Afternoon. I what are you talking about? I finished about? reading this about four hours ago. <laughs> so we're 
we're getting this one under the wire a little bit. Yeah, just, just a tad. <laughs> uh, well, we hope everybody had a, uh, had a good holiday. If you celebrate it, if you don't, we hope you have a good weekend. And uh, we'll see you in a month. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye. <laughs>